This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday. Time for our strategy panel. And you know, when I wrote this a few minutes ago, it said, top of mind, the decision to invoke the Emergency Measures Act for the first time ever. Well, I just heard the breaking news and top of mind, even more top than this, is the Ottawa police chief resigning. Of course, it comes after huge criticism directed his way for a failure to act on the part of the police force. But before we get into that with our crack strategy panel, um, the War Measures Act. So War Measures Act was uh, the uh, the act famously invoked by Trudeau Pere. Pierre, 50 years ago. So was the Emergency Measures Act Justin Trudeau's just watch me moment? It certainly means he now owns this problem. And most of the analysis that I've seen argues that this whole mess is a failure on his part. According to an Angus Reid poll, two-thirds of Canadians think the Prime Minister has made the situation worse. And uh, and this relates to the resignation of slowly what I and many others wonder is whether more powers are what's needed to clear the situation or is the problem just a lack of enforcement. Uh, and to, by the way, since the Emergency Measures Act was invoked yesterday, I haven't seen a lot of movement on Parliament Hill, you still have those trucks parked really, really tightly just opposite Parliament. I don't even know how you move those. So, also, just before we get to the panel, the Prime Minister spent a lot of time outlining what the Act does not mean, and uh, he was specifically talking about calling in the military. So, what do you think? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now, let's go to Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Sousa, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South. Okay, so... Peter slowly has resigned. What does that signal, Charles? Um, so it's been, what, three weeks now that we've had an occupation in Ottawa and other parts of Canada, or in Ontario specifically, with some border crossings, and it's unacceptable. And um, I appreciate protests. I appreciate people standing up for the rights, um, and, and I'm, all, I'm all for that. But the moment you start to disrupt and put other people in harm's way, which is what's been happening cutting off economic growth, economic activity. I think the Premier and the Prime Minister all agree that's uncalled for. Um, but he's lost He's lost time, and uh, I'm surprised it took him this long to act on this. You're talking about the Prime Minister. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and we all have to stand together on this to ensure that other people aren't harmed because of the protest. Uh, I appreciate where they're standing, and things are happening. Things are being changed because people are standing up. But when you're putting other people in harm's way, when you're, when you're not allowing economic growth and economic activity and, and uh, safety to, to exist for other citizens of this country, uh, then you're being selfish. Uh, and well, it's appropriate Charles, for them to act. I'm, I'm not talking about the, prime, uh, the, the protesters now. I'm talking about the response to it. So does this, does this look good on the prime minister or uh, has he... Uh, has a lot of Canadians seem to think just made the situation worse. Well, it, it, that'll that'll certainly. Uh, I think people. There's two two sides to this. People say he hasn't acted quickly enough, and now he's acting too hard um, because it's taken on so much time. So it's a no-win situation for him. Um, be it as it may, and I I, I mean. 
I guess history will judge if he was effective or not in the time that he spent doing this, but I would have acted more quickly. Karen Stintz, uh, I see a note here that you're sad that the police chief in Ottawa has resigned. I think it's tragic, to be honest. Um, You know, we've been through a lot of the pandemic, but one of the issues that did come forward is the fact that the police need to be more progressive in their approach to policing. And here we have one of the most progressive police officers that police chiefs that Canada may, you know, may be seeing. And now he's the fall guy for a trucker protest that his force is completely ill-equipped to deal with. And, you know, the fact that it took the prime minister, I mean, I, I don't think it's a national emergency. I think it's an Ontario emergency. And I'm not going to underscore how disruptive it is to trade into the Ottawa community. But to suggest that the police chief and the Ottawa police could have dealt with this, is, I think, really um, a complete, it, that's completely unrealistic. Those trucks, they can't move those trucks. They don't have the resources to move those trucks. And progressive policing is every, all, everyone has been calling for progressive policing. And so now what we've seen is just the limits of progressive policing. It doesn't mean we should get rid of the progressive police chief. You know, and now the prime minister has called this national emergency. It's not a national emergency. It's an, it's, it's an issue in Ontario. Well, there and was also already Doug Ford took the took the steps to declare an, uh, an emerg- a, a provincial emergency, and he's cut off the funding, and he, they cleared the Ambassador Bridge. You know, the mayor of Ottawa had was in the process of negotiating a resolution, a partial resolution with the truckers. Now the rug has been swept underneath him, and it's interesting that the First Nations actually asked that this not be invoked, and yet, in spite of most premiers and First Nations asking, he did it anyway. And, it's, you know, if he was going to do it, maybe on day one, okay. But, you know, day 21? But, Karen, does the police chief have no responsibility? I mean, partly it's a big failure of intelligence because the best way is prevention when it comes to this, as we can see in Toronto. Well, no question. But Toronto had the benefit of Ottawa's experience. If Toronto was the first protest, I don't know that it would have been any different. But the fact is the first protest landed in Ottawa at Parliament Hill. And it's interesting that the mayor of Ottawa is the only person who is talking to the truckers. Well, uh, there's controversy about that as well, whether he really had a deal uh, after he said he had a partial deal. The organizer that he talked to, who is only one of several leaders, uh, said maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, John, I'm not saying it's a straight line. But the fact is, is that they've pushed this down right to the bottom and they've hold the, the, you know, the people that have the least authority, the least resources, they're holding them accountable for what is really um, a, a, an issue that has to be addressed at a higher level. And, and again, at the point in time that the prime minister could have dealt with it, he didn't deal with it. Now he's, he's wanting to argue now he's dealing with it. But is it the right way at the right time? I don't think it is. Uh, John Capobianco, what do you think? First of all, does the resignation of Peter Slowly uh, signal uh, that something might actually be done? Well, this has gone from really bad to really, really, really bad. Um, And I think that, you know, the fact that we've now seen the police chief having to resign, and that's an unfortunate thing. I must say, you know, I've known uh, Peter Slowly when he's here in Toronto. He is a fine, fine gentleman and, and certainly you know, is, is, is certainly the fall guy here. And, and a lot of blame for sure will, will go his way because there, there's got to be some blame at the uh, at that level as well. But does the mayor of, of Ottawa have to resign as well? Because he's equally to blame as as, uh, as the police chief. So we'll have to see that. But I also think, though, that, you know, with the whole emergency act, you know, Justin's now going to share with his father the dubious historic honor of having to invoke you know, of course, the Father Pierre, the, the War Measures Act, and how the Emergencies Act, and and I do think that it, there's there's no question that the pressure that that Justin was facing from the public, from the opposition parties to to act, um, you know, led to this because as as Karen said as well, you know, Premier Ford put forward the Provincial War uh, Measure Emergencies Act, and that obviously solved the uh, the Ambassador Bridge and the Windsor uh, issue. Toronto handled the protests, I think, extremely well. And yeah, they had some benefit from, from learning what happened in Ottawa. But but let's go back to when this thing was happening. When the, when this trucker convoy was being announced, and that everybody in the news media reported this trucker convoy was going to Ottawa, there were days before the trucks actually landed on Ottawa. What provo- Why wouldn't they then just understand, okay, well, trucks are coming. These are 18-wheelers. These are heavy machines. 
Can we keep them sort of at a certain area, maybe, you know, direct them to a park? That failure was one of the major failures that, that happened that caused us to uh, to be where we are today. But the other one too, Libby, and I mentioned this on, on our show before, which is I think the prime minister getting off and being divisive on this issue from the very beginning and, and having this broad brush that all of these protesters were, were you know, not legitimate or, or whatever terms he used at the time, I think it, it further sort of cemented that division that had it. And so these truckers were there from the very beginning, never having to ha- understand that the Prime Minister of Canada would, would never listen to them, would never give them the credence. Now, it's gotten considerably worse, obviously, but at the very beginning, there could have been a time when he could have at least had some olive branch or at least caused some other officials to have some negotiating tactics. But when he started off saying that these, these, these protesters were not legitimate and that they don't, they don't represent the mainstream of, of, of Canadians or of, of truckers in general, he lost that negotiating power, and it just gotten worse from there. It so is now definitely, we're that- definitely worse. Charles, uh, again, uh, is this what's needed? Will this solve it? I mean, John just referenced the Ambassador Bridge, and yes, they had the tools from the Premier's declaration of a state of emergency, but but the cops also went in. Yeah, you know, he's going after he's going after the money. He's going after what's driving some of this, and up until now, they haven't been very effective. He could have done that at the get-go. Um, and so the moment he's... So he's not invoking military rule. He's not putting those things in place. He's recognizing people's charter and rights and freedoms. But he's also highlighting the rights and freedoms of the majority of us who are being harmed by this. We're being harmed financially as well, and health-wise in some cases. So it's appropriate for him to, to take and that he's doing to try to minimize the disruption that it's having on the general population. Okay, so uh, Charles, let me just ask you... It should have been done a long time ago. Let me just ask you this. So one of the things that he cited that he can now do is order tow truck drivers to remove the trucks, which they didn't want to do before because they've been intimidated by the truckers. Uh, however, if you look at how they're parked, you got to wonder how how are they even going to be towed? I mean, so my question to you, Charles, is 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 this going to solve the thing, or you know the 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 people protesting there are saying I, I don't care? Yeah, they and and why why should they? They'll just walk like they're they're putting the onus on the government, and now the owner of the situation is the federal government to the extent that they've instituted the Measures Act. But it is going to be extremely difficult to enable support from others to try to remove the trucks and the disruption. It's going to be extremely difficult. And the resources available uh, to them, to that being the law of the authorities, is limited. And I think a point was made earlier. uh, To what extent could they do anything? Because they let it happen. They let it go so far that it's hard to turn it back. And this is the situation they're in. I, I don't have an answer, and I don't think they do as well. Huh. Okay, uh, the lines are piling up. Let's take a couple of calls. Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hi, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. Um, there's actually three things. One, the first one, uh, there's nothing they can do about the head, the trucks. Those heavy tows that refuse to tow, they all have contracts with the City of Ottawa and the Ottawa Capital Commission. Um, they should have their contracts with the city canceled. You'd see them out there towing those trucks right away if they can't lost that uh, lucrative contract. That's number one. Number two, I feel sorry for Peter Slowly. Karen hit the nail on the head. He's the fall guy in all of this. If he'd have gone in initially and started busting heads, they would have been on him right away anyway if he uh, broke the thing down. Um, I was just, I'm a school bus driver. Just quickly, a whole family from my school bus, there were six kids, small kids, and their father had taken them up to Ottawa to protest in the freezing cold. That's how crazy this is. And lastly, what uh, took um, uh, Justin so long? If the War Measures Act has been around that long, why did it take him this long um, to do something when, I mean, obviously the Ambassador Bridge is a federal thing. He could have done it right away. So I'm at a loss to figure out why all these things took place. Okay, Ron, thanks for that. That's, that's interesting about, uh, the family of children and, uh, the politicians, both Doug Ford and Trudeau kept standing up and saying, 
take your children home, but I don't see a consequence uh, of them not taking their children home. Uh, Karen, what's your view of that? Well, that's it. And, and again, I don't know how um, I don't know how anybody thinks this is going to get solved now that the police chief of Ottawa has resigned. Um, unless there's someone willing to step in, but they have the same resources, they have the same limitations. They actually now have it's more difficult now because anything that Mayor Watson may have negotiated is completely off the table, whether it was there in the first place. It's now for sure gone. Um, if they're not sending in the military, again, you, you you know, to your point, Libby, like the trucks are packed in so tightly, it's unclear how they're going to disconnect those Lego pieces. And it it just it unless unless the military goes in and someone's going to get hurt, someone well, will get hurt. I, I I am assuming that uh, that the way this was handled by the police chief was perhaps not universally popular in the force, uh, and I'm I'm sure there is someone who is taking command. Uh, I'm sure. I, I'd like but to again. know who that is, and um, I mean, you know, that they said that they never got the reinforcements they were promised, but we have to see how that plays out. Uh, let's. Uh, Let's go to Rhonda in Kitchener. Hi, Rhonda. Yes, um, I agree with those former callers. This was left gone, gone way too long. And the politicians wonder why we're losing faith and we're starting to get resentment because they wait. Not just that Ottawa promises, a lot of promises that we can go on about Libby. For the seniors, for, for raises, for pensions, for dental care, health care, the whole shebang. They don't seem to stand by their promises or their word. Well, Mr. Trudeau or Mr. Ford, whoever, get together, please. You have no choice now. And I mean no choice. And show us. Give us some faith that you have some backbone and some courage. And don't let these people do it anymore. They, we have to show vaccination at the border. Then you stick to your guns. What you said you were going to do, they have to show it or get out. Lose their contracts. Do something. Declare martial law, which I know is drastic, but aren't what they doing is drastic, inconsiderate, and insane. Okay, Rhonda, thanks for that uh, hard line there. What about James in Toronto? Hi, James. Yes, I wonder if we could get some more specifics rather than generalities on uh, what people feel the federal government should have done earlier, aside from the the so-called olive branch, because this is a three-week period, and many of these this this action that's being taken requires the uh, involvement of the province, and Doug Ford seems to be on board with the action. So I think we're getting a lot of generalities with the rather protests? than specifics. You're saying he's on board with the protests? That's not what he said. No, I'm saying Doug Ford is on board with the federal government oh, enacting yes. the emergency measure. Yeah, and he enacted emergency measures of his own, and uh, he didn't jump in that quickly either. But I, I'm not quite clear what the federal government could have done on their own. A lot of this requires provincial involvement, the, the you know, the disbursement of the OPP, etc. And to lay it all on the federal government and said they, it all comes down to the lack of an olive branch seems to be, to me, naive or uh, deliberately misleading. Okay, that's that's an interesting take. But but uh, I mean, there are a lot of people who say that the prime minister, without losing face, could have gone to talk to them in a dignified way, not giving them any concessions. Uh, Charles, would that have made the well, situation better? I'm not sure he would have had an impact on it. I mean, that's what they were calling for. But, but I mean, the negotiation tactics was, well, hey, we're going to negotiate because we want you gone. Like, our, 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 stand, our, our, our position is the prime minister has to go. We want full freedom. And we're going to occupy Ontario, Ottawa, until you approve. Well, the problem is, there's, there's, that's not a negotiation; that's a demand. And he want, and they were overstepping with respect to who's elected and who they represent. So, really, the prime minister didn't have much of a choice to say, "I'm not going to negotiate with you guys because you're, you're starting off with a premise of, of basically telling me that I'm fired and there's no more discussion." Well, so, yeah, and there, there was that crazy. Uh, pardon my language thing where they said the governor general should fire the government. Exactly, I mean, yeah. it was bizarre. So, so here we have this position and I guess the biggest problem of all is that they're not enforcing the rule of law to the extent that these protesters have overstepped and they're putting others in harm's way. That alone, that alone is putting 
the, the, the province and the city and others at risk. So that has to stop. And they, I, I would have, I would have, I would have hoped, I was hoping they would have acted more quickly, more swiftly, because they're breaking the law and they're putting other people's in harm's way. That was, that was, that enough. That is enough for me to, to act. Now, I appreciate why the protesters exist. I appreciate their stand. Uh, that's appropriate, but not when you're hurting other people. Well, so far they're making a mockery of the Absolutely. law. I mean, the, the, one of the things that happened on the weekend really, bothered me. I mean, the, apparently the police built a fence around the war memorial because it had been desecrated or whatever you want to call it. And uh, the protesters tore it down and the cops stood around watching them. The resources for the police are limited. I think that was an earlier point being made. Even if Trudeau comes out with these measures, how are you going to enforce them? How are you going to act upon them? And the, the real problem in the end is we let the, we let the truckers invade Ottawa and just clog it up. Now we have this mess. And to get them out is a problem. And, uh, I, I, and I don't know the solution. I think John had a very good point that, you know, we saw them coming. It's not like they snuck in. Let's hear from Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Libby. I have three quick points. First of all, we need to consider who is organizing this, where is the money coming from, and we're learning more about that. The vaccine mandates are starting to come down, uh, but they're not budging. And my opinion is that this has never been about mandates. This is, this is about taking the government down. And today, uh, I read a comment from one of the organizers to the effect that we now this is great news, perfect. Now, we want the Minister of Transportation to, to resign because of his background. If yeah. that isn't a racial dog whistle, I don't know what is. So I think it's naive to think that this is a normal Canadian protest because we've had protests through the years and nothing like this. There's clearly another agenda. Well, um, I... I have to agree with you, I have to say. And uh, there are profiles of three of the organizers with very uh, detailed police and military backgrounds. And I know that some people are being disciplined for publicly supporting the convoy. But obviously, the way it's organized, it's uh, they're obviously people who know what they're doing. And again, I I think Dennis is right that it wasn't really about mandates because you've got the mandate going the other direction, John. Well, you know, your previous caller, not this one, but your previous caller was saying, you know, what, what could the prime minister have done? And, and, you know, sort of the olive branch. The olive branch is not insignificant when it comes to negotiations. You can't, you can't cut that off early on because then you, then you sort of, you take one of your tactics away. That was one thing. Secondly, he could have actually been present. There was a long time where he was just not present, notwithstanding the fact that he had COVID and he was, you know, self-isolating. He, you know, he's, he's done that before and you can get out in front of his house and, and, and do a presser or whatever. But there was calls from the opposition and from others saying, can you please get out here and do something and say something? So that was the other thing, that he just took his time because he thought that this thing was going to be a problem for the opposition. And quite frankly, at the beginning, he believed that, right? And then, of course, it became worse and then he had to sort of jump in. So that, that's, those are some of the issues that he could have dealt with. And the other one was just not finger pointing. Right. This is the kind of stuff when in crisis, you don't blame somebody else or trying to cut another level of government off. You try to work with them. And I think he caused that issue as well. So there's a number of things, Libby, that that happened early on that caused us to be exasperated. Now, I also believe that at the very beginning, this convoy might have had might have had a bit of a message that was with respect to, to you know, freedom and, and, and maybe relaxing uh, the, the restrictions on truck drivers. There's no doubt that it got out of control and got other elements taken over. And now it's now entrenched with completely other elements that are going to cause this to be more of a problem when it comes to enforcement. So this emergency act, which of course some people believe in, and I believe the people from Ottawa are, are, are welcome it, the challenge now becomes who's going to enforce it, how are they going to enforce it, and what's going to happen when they enforce it, especially because he, he ruled out the military, which quite frankly I think Canadians understand that, but if you're not going to use the military potentially as a way to get some of these people out of here, I'm not sure they're going to do it. I'm not sure losing your license or 
or getting tickets or whatever might happen, you know, is going to be enough for some of these people to leave. Uh, you know, um, I am reminded of a clip I want to play of Doug Ford, and he also uh, took his time getting involved with this, but he talked about the divisiveness that uh, that we're experiencing now. And he also talked about his own family situation. We know he has a daughter who is a, uh, can I call her a rabid anti-vaxxer? And, and uh, she posts all kinds of things. Uh, so I, I think, I don't know, when Doug Ford is uh, kind of uh, real and human like that, he scores a lot of points. I don't know if this will make up for the fact that he also didn't get involved in this very quickly. Uh, let's hear the clip. One of the hardest things about this pandemic is the way it's fractured us as a society. Differing views about government policies, the limits of personal freedoms, different views about vaccines, public health measures, and what steps are necessary. All of it has polarized us in a way that we could have never imagined. I've experienced this in my own family. It's been one of the hardest things my family and I have ever gone through. Well, you know, that's from yesterday. He referenced that again today. And honestly, it looked like he was uh, tearing up a bit. Uh, I can imagine how difficult that is. So uh, let us end this with, uh, you know, is is the is this going to is the prime minister going to wear this in a bad way? And is is Duck Ford going to kind of um, is he going to be OK through this? Karen. Yeah, I think Doug Ford will be okay. Um, I think the, the narrative has always been that this is a protest against the federal government. So ultimately, a fe- some type of federal response is required. And whether this was the right one, time will tell. But if it turns violent and there is destruction of property, and if, God forbid, anyone's killed, it will end very badly for the prime minister. Charles? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think Doug Ford is actually looking a bit better on this one, um, even though he, too, was late to start and uh, deflected a bit. But he's come around, and he's, he's taking ownership. And uh, he's going after the money, and, and, that's what, and that's what Justin Trudeau is doing. But the question is, are we, putting, are we in harm's way? And because, in some respects, those in Ottawa are feeling uh, harmed, um, the borders are now being opened, Trudeau is wearing more of it than 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 Ford. Uh, John, last twenty seconds to you. Um, I think I think Doug Ford will be will be judged by how he handled Windsor and Toronto specifically. Even though Ottawa is of course in Ontario, but it's a nation's capital, which of course has a lot of federal uh, jurisdictional uh, issues around it. Which is why I think a lot of it is going to be worn by the Prime Minister, who I think is going to wear this not only here nationally but also internationally. Okay, uh, people, uh, if we didn't get to your calls, hang on, because I'm going to be talking to an expert on the emergency measures after the break, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about the financial aspects of this. In the meantime, uh, boy, everything is happening all at once. Thank you so much to our panel, Charles Sousa, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Okay, we're taking a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Wesley Wark. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have been talking about the political ramifications of the Emergencies Act, but what about the legal aspects? One thing is key. It expands the powers of banks and FinTrack to cut off the source of funding for all this. So will that work to shut it down? And is that an overreach. The numbers to call 416 360 toll free 1-866-744-740. And now I'm joined by Wesley Wark, a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation. Hello there. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, Last week, I was talking to Dr. Christian Luprecht from the Royal Military College, and he was saying, well, FinTrack is the body that could follow the money, but they couldn't do anything about it. So what exactly are the powers now to get at the money? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think there are two components of what the government has proposed with the Emergencies Act, which it invoked yesterday. So, so it's it's in operation. It comes into effect immediately. One is the effort to clamp down by following the money on on global uh, platforms for fundraising that might be channeling uh, money to the protest movement. There um, and, and the finance minister has promised to make uh, these powers permanent uh, in future. There, I must confess, I'm a bit skeptical of the um, uh, you know the ability of of that kind of uh, effort to have much impact. Uh, you know, we've we've seen similar efforts over many years to block terrorism um, financing and to deal with um, money laundering neither very effective. And the problem with trying to uh, try and enforce these measures against um, uh, foreign-based, uh, you know, platforms that are raising money is that they're probably beyond the jurisdiction of the Canadian authorities. And, you know, there are so many alternative channels, uh, including, you know, Bitcoin and the dark web that can be used to raise funds if people are really intent on on doing that. But, um Beyond the symbolic, I'm not sure about the the implications of, of that part of, of what's proposed. Let me let me just ask you. So, what I heard was that it would allow FinTrack, which is a body that is supposed to be tracking these things, to freeze funds that say came from GiveServeGo, uh, which has millions of dollars. That could just freeze those funds because they are purportedly being used for an illegal purpose. Is that not the case? Or um, Well, uh, that particular platform has already denied that the Canadian law has any jurisdiction exactly, over them. they have, yes. Um, and FinTrack itself can't freeze funds. FinTrack has to work with financial institutions and in, in banks in Canada. The banks and financial regulated financial institutions can freeze funds. But one of the things that's the, so there's a you know there's an important intelligence picture here. You have to make sure that you really understand the, the flow of the money. But the other important um, thing to keep in mind is that FinTrack works with financial ceilings, and it does so for practical purposes. So, so essentially, it is it is only asking financial institutions uh, and banks in Canada to report um, transactions in excess of ten thousand dollars per transaction. Uh, it's not trying to track every financial transaction below that that limit, which would you know be overwhelming, of course, in any single day. Um, and and the very fact that you have to have those kinds of you know financial ceilings before you take these kinds of actions, I, I think, negates uh, much of the effort. It, as we've seen from from the hack uh, that was you know announced recently. You know there are some uh, deep pocket uh, investors, if you like, in the in the protest movement. But probably the vast majority of funds that have flowed to uh, the protest movement or or have attempted to flow to the protest movement involve sums far far below the ten thousand dollar threshold. So uh, I'm not really sure I'm, I see that happening. I, I think, to be honest, the the surgical tool that might really have an impact is is the ability that the federal government has given itself under the essential services provisions of the Emergencies Act to um, compel financial institutions to freeze or block personal and corporate uh, bank accounts of individuals uh, associated with the protest, and indeed to require insurance companies uh, to uh, suspend insurance licenses for for truckers and trucking companies associated with the protest, that that is a that is a big and damaging power um, to deploy against the protest movement. Is it an overreach? That's a good question. Um, I, I, it may well be challenged by by the courts. Overreach, you know, has two implications. Is it is it an overreach in the law? Uh, we'll only know once it's tested in the law. It's is it an overreach in terms of a tool? To be used uh, in this in this present emergency uh, and in the scale in face of the scale of a protest, I would say no. It's not an overreach in terms of trying to bring the protest to to an end uh, in a relatively peaceful manner, and to send a very powerful warning signal to those involved. Will it ultimately prove to be a legal overreach? Well, the government has its legal experts 
you know, uh, that give it advice on those matters. I guess they're convinced that it's not a legal overreach. The courts will ultimately decide, but that'll be well down the road. And do you think this is how this protest will end? I mean, there are a lot of people, myself included, who think that in terms of Ottawa, the, the issue is more enforcement than, than legal powers. Yes. I mean, you know, you can have all the legal powers you like, including new legal powers in the Emergencies Act and the federal government taking charge. But unless they're enforced, um, you know, they're no good. And, and enforcement has two dimensions. One is is the, you know, perception of the threat involved in enforcement, and the other is physical on-the-ground enforcement. The key thing, you know, and, and uh, we'll, we'll see what the threat of enforcement uh, does to, I think, a very kind of disparate membership uh, in this protest convoy. No doubt some hardcore elements, probably very small. Many others associating themselves with the protest convoy and protest movement for all kinds of reasons. So whether they will, will be deterred from future activity because of the Emergencies Act and its, its particulars, We'll have to see, but I think we'll see that in short order. Um, in, in terms of enforcement, I think the key thing behind the Emergencies Act is that it really places the RCMP in a much more powerful position to try and coordinate law enforcement and and to um, and to swell the ranks of of law enforcement in in cracking down on the protest movement, particularly in 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 terms of these designated protected areas that will be subject to law enforcement action. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi, Libby. It's, uh, it's ironic, you know, when they have the Freedom Convoy, that basically the first thing they do is to restrict more freedoms and more rules. But what uh, my takeaway is when the uh, finance minister yesterday said she will give the right to banks to arbitrarily uh, seize your account. So... You, you mean know, without I've a got warrant. money. I, I've got my in investments for retirement and whatnot. Um, the last thing I need is for the bank or even the government to be able to go and arbitrarily seize my funds. That's I find that absolutely offensive. And the canceling of insurance, the same thing. I mean, this is basically turning into a war against the good average citizen in Canada. Well, it, it, the question remains: How many good average citizens uh, are no, are the up there? No, question remains, Libby. I worked a lifetime to have a, a, a nest egg that's going to supplement my pensions while I retire, and the government's basically just giving themselves access to it, and they just get the teller at the bank. Who knows if she thinks something's fishy? Maybe she'll just lock down my account. Okay, Bill. I'm going to let Wesley respond to that. And also, th these uh, these powers are for 30 days. But uh, let uh, Bill. I'm going to let you go. So listen to his answer. What kind of uh, proof or whatever would uh, would anybody need before they went into uh, Bill's account? Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I, I think there's no question of, of an arbitrary action being involved here. And this, there's two things to, to um, uh, be clear about. One, one is that the Emergencies Act does not override, very specifically does not override the protections provided by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And uh, the legal language around the deployment of the Emergencies Act is that any measure that's taken has to be reasonable and proportional. Now, lawyers can tell you exactly what those things mean, but uh, they are they are at the opposite end of the spectrum from arbitrary. Uh, as I say, I think the uh, intention behind these um, financial tools that are meant to be surgical and very much directed only at um, uh, people taking part in, in an illegal protest and occupation. They're meant to be uh, surgical. They're meant to be, in the first place, a threat and a deterrent. A threat and deterrent don't work and, and um, result in people uh, leaving the protest and stopping their illegal activities. Then, then they can be enforced. Uh, they are... They are uh, striking instruments, uh, but I think in, from my perspective, certainly, and, and clearly from the perspective of the federal government, necessary in the circumstances to bring an 18-day uh, illegal protest movement, which is really out of control, uh, under control, and to bring it to a halt. 
this just in, uh, the border blockade ends in Alberta. I actually thought it had already ended. And of course, in Alberta, the police found a cache of weapons, uh, and, and terrifying to even contemplate what the people who uh, brought those weapons in were contemplating. There were a bunch of, of charges. We've got to wrap this one up. Uh, Wesley Wark, uh, just, uh, do you think that uh, the Emergencies Act will get this thing wrapped up in a timely way or not? Maybe I, I, you know, I very much hope it will. And, and I think, um, your listeners should appreciate that there is a clock ticking and it's a, it's, it's, you know, the government has to, has to show success in a pretty short period of time. It's not just the 30 days when the Emergencies Act, uh, can run. It's the critical period of time is the seven days before Parliament has to approve the Emergencies Act. So essentially that means as, as of yesterday, the clock ticks, the government, federal government has to show success in dealing with the protest within those seven days. Or otherwise, I think parliamentary approval is very doubtful and the Emergencies Act uh, goes into the dustbin. Okay. Wesley Wark, thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Libby. Bye-bye. We're taking another break. And when we come back, uh, biggest casualty or one of the biggest casualties, the auto sector and a lot of workers are suffering. We will figure out what the situation is there when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The Ambassador Bridge is open again after being blockaded for a week. With about $400 million a day in trade, the economic cost has been huge. And the sector bearing the biggest brunt is the auto sector. So here are some numbers from the East Lansing-based Anderson Economic Group. It says this has cost the auto industry more than a quarter of a billion dollars that would be U.S. dollars. And the study says that in just one week, automakers, including General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, Honda, and Toyota, suffered an estimated $155 million in losses. And they estimate that employees, the majority of whom are both in Michigan and in Ontario, lost $144.9 million in wages, staggering numbers, staggering damage. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Dino Kyoto, the Unifor Auto Director. Dino, thank you so much for being with us. No, no, thank you for having us on for sure. Uh, so what do you make of the numbers that I just read? Uh, no, they're, they're pretty impressive numbers. I mean, we know that there's over uh, 300, close to $400 uh, uh, million dollars in trade that goes over uh, daily. We know that, uh, you know, when the auto plants are shut down, whether it's for a minute, uh, we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. So when you're uh, basically affected over the course of a week, uh, like we were, uh, and we were in the 10,000, 11,000 employees affected daily, um, you, you know, you're up there in the hundreds of millions for sure. So it's it's big money uh, that's being lost. Uh, it's taken out of our economy. Uh, and, uh, you know, now the companies are scrambling to try and make up some of that volume. Uh, but again, you, you, you never get back to, uh, to where you were. So that, that's always a problem that we're going to have to try and uh, get through. Uh, how so? I mean, I would imagine you miss a few days, you add a few days, but it doesn't work like that, you're saying. Well, I mean, everything gets compounded because now, I mean, obviously, uh, people who are waiting for the vehicles are going to have a delay in getting those vehicles. Uh, you had to change the transportation process to be able to get the products in. Uh, you you pay uh, employees, so they'll, they'll continue to work, and you'll give them overtime hours. You try to schedule those shifts, but we still have to get those parts. They're all just in time still. Um, so, so uh, I mean, we've got Windsor Assembly Plant, for example, that was short about uh, almost 2,000 vehicles. Uh, so, so they build 1,000 vehicles a day, but they're going to continue to build current vehicles 
that people are continuing to order. So somehow you have to slot in those 2,000 vehicles that, that basically never got built. That could take us, that could take us a month and a half. That could take two months. Uh, so it's not just as easy as turning a switch and saying, okay, we're going to make it work. Uh, it's a process that they're going to have to schedule. They have to find hours that they can place that extra work into, whether it be on a Saturday or a Sunday. And by extension of that, uh, make sure that they can acquire those parts, uh, to be available, uh, so they can produce them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it going to make cars more expensive? No, I mean generally, I don't think that's transferred over to the uh, uh, to the uh, consumer. Um, you generally see a regular price increase, uh, something we all hate uh, yearly. But for the most part, uh, I, I don't necessarily see a campaign like this uh, increasing the price of a vehicle. Uh, what I do see is uh, the challenges that uh, we see with with respect to cross-border uh, trade. Uh, obviously, uh, the government putting emergency measures in place which I think uh, was, was necessary and a little later than it should have been. Uh, but it, I, I think it shows the world that we're now equipped to deal with this and we can move a lot faster if this were to happen again. Uh, problem was we just never seen this before. And I didn't think uh, or I don't believe that they ever thought that this would ever happen. What about uh, long-term damage? Uh, you know, we I guess we've always been seen as, if, if nothing else, reliable, solid, people. Uh, but uh, it, is this changing uh, the view that uh, Canada is a good partner? I mean, the two sides of the border essentially function. I mean, the border, it, it's, a, it's there, but essentially the two sides of the border function together. Um, you're, you're absolutely correct. The two sides of the border function together. We're currently creating a new bridge crossing uh, Canada is a good partner, and I and I think uh, the reality of uh, what we experienced were a few bad apples trying to make noise, uh, and they were using uh, this as an opportunity to express themselves. And unfortunately, uh, they, they express themselves in the wrong way because you don't close something uh, to open up uh, stores and 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 start to get back to pre-COVID uh, uh, kind of times. Uh, so so I think uh, the organizers or the individuals that kind of took over uh, the blockade. Uh, I think they used it to their advantage to uh, send a, a particular message. And unfortunately, uh, we were caught in the midst of that. But like I said before, we, we've never experienced a, a bridge closure. Uh, we've never had to deal with that. Uh, we've got problems in North America as a whole with regards to people's protests coming up on mandates for vaccination. And the emergency measures are put in place uh, for a reason, to create that injunction to make sure that individuals that do participate in those illegal actions are dealt with swiftly, and I think that uh, we're 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 open for business. We're telling um, we're telling international investors that hey, listen, yeah, we've gone through this, but uh, you tell me or show me a country that hasn't gone through complications with building, whether it be on a launch or on a program, uh, with reference to uh, vehicle manufacturing or any business. Uh, there's always uh, little setbacks. I think what we're saying is. Uh, this goes to show that we're willing to do what's necessary to make sure that we maintain that border crossing and that 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 trade between our countries. And uh, now we're better equipped to make sure that we can deal with it even more uh, expeditiously, uh, mitigating any uh, any possible uh, concerns or problems in the future. And you think that message uh, will get through? I, I, listen, we've got an excellent workforce in Canada. So when people come here and they look at our efficiency ratings, they look at the Canadian dollar, uh, they look at uh, what we can provide, the quality uh, matrix that we're measured against. Uh, we're always in the top brackets globally. So uh, I, I think that's still going to play uh, uh, into uh, decision making. And uh, you're right. People might have a question and say, oh, border border crossing, could that be a concern? And I think that, uh, you know, the government did step up with their emergency measures, albeit, a, you know, a few days late. Uh, but in saying that, I think that uh, now uh, we know where the pieces are. And if that ever did happen again, it could be uh, it could be corrected very easily and uh, more efficiency the next time. Just like this COVID problem, right? We're, we're, we don't have a, a playbook from the start. We're creating it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we don't want to think that we're getting better as we're going through it. And if it ever happened again, we deal with it more efficiently the next time. Uh, so, so I believe that. And I think investors uh, continue to recognize Canada as an award-winning place to build vehicles. And uh, we've got some of the best employees around with some of the best track records. Uh, this 
happens as we have uh, supply chain issues. There's a worldwide computer chip shortage. And uh, America is in the middle of this buy American thing, which doesn't necessarily bode well. Um, give me some context about all that, please. Well, well, that's a, that's that's a, the piece that makes me a little bit more nervous uh, with regards to the Buy American campaign that's going on in the United States right now. Because, I mean, you know, if the United States wants to bring all their, uh, you know, manufacturers back into the U.S., uh, I mean, that's going to that's going to create huge huge problems and ripples across uh, not only Canada but. Uh, you know, there's so many parts that are going into vehicles, whether those parts are made in Canada and Mexico and Europe. Um, and, and, you know, although there's some credence in, in buy what you build, uh, the reality is, is we've uh, been trading now for, you know, decades and uh, you, you just don't turn uh, that off. And I think that some of the people trying to make those decisions don't understand the intricacies or decisions that go into actually uh, building a vehicle and where those parts come from and how they're manufactured, the in- engineering that goes into it, the research and development. Uh, and it's just not a matter of snapping your fingers and saying, hey, it's, it's all going to be done here from now on and that's it. Because if, if that was the case, we would already be building semiconductors in United States and in Canada and we're not. Uh, because we're seeing now more than ever that you're talking about, you know, a $50 billion potential startup investment. And, and that, you know, potentially will allow us to start building these semiconductors in the next decade. Um, so, so there's a lot of complications that go into this. There's trade agreements that have to be followed uh, to make sure that there is a fair opportunity between the countries that are trading partners. And uh, I, I recognize, uh, uh, you know, the taunting and expressing that that's what we want to do. Uh, potentially that United States uh, is trying to get there. But I, I still think there has to be a trade relationship between the countries because there's things that we both need and have uh, that the others don't currently. And uh, that's why you call them agreements uh, to make sure that they could be uh, reciprocated uh, between the parties. What would you like to leave us with on all of this? Uh, I'd like to leave uh, the thought process uh, that uh, we, we are, uh, uh, you know, um, a great workforce in Canada in manufacturing. Uh, we've always uh, measured ourselves uh, with the best and continue to do so. Uh, but at the same time, this couldn't come at a worst possible time. You know, you've got problems with the semiconductor. Uh, you've got problems with COVID, uh, you know, and all of a sudden uh, you have a problem uh, where, you know, companies are looking to invest their next dollars in electric electrifying vehicles and uh, and we had a, a blip with regards to this border crossing and uh, unfortunately uh, we don't understand the full ramifications because I mean I'm only talking my opinion and investors can look at this their way uh, but I do believe that we can measure up and I and I still think we're uh, an important and good place to invest uh, but uh, I, I just suggest uh that uh, we continue to work hard. We keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we make sure that uh, that trade border stays open so we can continue to trade because it's necessary for both countries to survive. Okay. Thank you so much, Dino Kyoto, the Unifor Auto Director. Fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.